0: Top of the line production quality. And if you're just starting out, Podcast Plus offers professional script writing, editing magic, and can conceptualize your show, create your cover art, and get you ready to stream on all major platforms. We'll market your podcast as well, showcasing it on radio stations and digital streams across the country. Expand, enhance, and extend your company and brand and reach potential clients and customers 24-7. Find out more at podcast with the That's podcast with a KPLUS.com.
1: Major, oh, no. major sightings here, all the place. Holy <laughs> f***. <laughs> para, para,
2: para, para abnormal. abnormal. I see dead people walking around like regular people. Parabnormal. Somewhere between abnormal and paranormal. I felt like something was near me. Kind of a eerie feeling. You want answers? I want the truth! Jeremy Scott asks the questions that we're all dying to know. You can't handle the truth!
3: Hello? Hello?
2: You can't keep him down, no matter how hard you try. Hey, that's the guy! Traveling into the witching hour from the cold, dark depths of a secret dungeon, somewhere deep in the remote Pacific Northwest, you're riding into the paranormal.
4: All right, got to say this really quietly because I could be labeled a kook. Yes, I saw a UFO today. That story is coming up. Welcome to this, the show that is new, that is cutting edge, that is fresh, somewhere between abnormal and paranormal is this program. I thank you for finding your place. Not that it's really hard. In fact, we've made it easier. More on that later. But tonight, the story of the Rendlesham Forest UFO incident. We're going to talk about ufology, the silencing of a whistleblower. On that, the one of the most fascinating and intriguing cases of all time. Certainly a sighting that has been subject to more controversy, yes, even more controversy than Roswell. Who would have thought? Also, we'll talk about the cover-up and other cases of disinformation. My guest tonight is researcher Peter Robbins. Well, as always, I scan the internet to find interesting subject material, and I usually don't have any problem finding interesting subject material. Now that I'm doing the show on a weekly basis, it's... It's kind of, um, well, it's like the faucet that keeps on flowing, and in this case, I'm trying to catch as much of it as I can and filter my way through, and I think we've done a pretty good job of bringing you the, the only the best of the bunch tonight on this program. A uh, story of a uh, psychic by the name of T. Chase, who has a YouTube channel and also a website, makes an interesting observation or maybe a prophecy as it relates to extraterrestrial invasion.
2: The Antichrist
1: comes to power. I think it's Putin in Russia. He tries to trigger World War III. Aliens show up to save the day to keep Earth from being destroyed.
2: But then aliens take over Earth and modify human DNA.
4: What do you think about that? Some of that shouldn't be too surprising for those of you who have checked out this program or the previous one in any regularity because those are, um, those are things that have been talked about. But this is a timeline, 2017 to 2020, so I can guarantee I'll be here next year and I'll be riding it for a good three years. Uh, sometime between 2017 and 2020, Jesus is going to align with the aliens and they're going to, well, use it to uh, change you and I because apparently, Uh, We are just evil beings, and I would agree there are many people who are evil. I don't think that society is evil in general, but it could save us from taking out each other. I mean, there are – rather, there is something to be said um, about all this crazy violence – ...that is happening in this country and others. Of course, many of the most severe terrorist attacks have been overseas of late. Thank God for that. But there must be something to this all, huh? Well, there must be something as well up on Brown Mountain... ...where there's an interesting phenomenon that for a couple of years has gone kind of dormant... ...in the sense that there has been no documented evidence of this. Well... There's a video that I encourage you to check out, courtesy of my friends over at Mysterious Universe. You can check the story link section for this episode, which is number 171, by the way. And uh, you'll link to the story and to the video. But, of course, if you're new to this program, we actually have people on the ground. That's right. My colleague is there as we speak. Let's check in with her.
3: This is Carissa Fleck and I'm on location at Brown Mountain in Charlotte, North Carolina. This place has a history of ghost light sightings, mysterious lights that disappear and reappear without explanation. And it dates back to the early part of the last century. I'm actually here at Brown Mountain to check the place out. You know, the latest video that's gone viral of the lights has caught my attention. So I'm here to discover and see for myself what I can find out about this. It fascinates me. I'll keep an eye out and I'll let you know, Jeremy, if I see anything. So far, no strange lights in the sky, some strange animals that I'm not quite used to, but I'll let you know if anything paranormal happens. Reporting on location for Into the Parabnormal, I'm Carissa Fleck.
4: Again from North Carolina tonight, and make sure that you are here at the bottom of the hour for Carissa's news. She is our newscaster, Carissa Fleck, Parabnormal News, at the bottom of the hour. I certainly do hope that if she does find evidence of something that she will check back in here on this program. Of course, it's a two-hour program, so we've got about an hour and 49 minutes to make that happen. And of course, when it comes to the paranormal, there is no timeline for that. Hey, who would have thought that mediums, psychic mediums, are not very accurate? And I mean this with absolute respect, because I've talked with many psychics here on this program, there's a story from a blog, which we also have linked up into the thepairofnormal.wix.com slash ITP radio, my free website. You can donate to the cause, and one day I will have a domain that's not hosted by somebody else. I mean, I, I've always been in the game of controlling my own content, and this will be no exception. About half of the time, psychics are wrong, according to the psychic uh, to the scientific study. Rather, um, Overall accuracy, about 54%. Now, they say 50% is chance, which means, you know, like the Seahawks today took on the Chiefs, my team. The Seahawks, that is, not the Chiefs. And they won because of field goals. I, I always wonder why there are preseason games if all there ever is is field goal kicking. I guess you got to get your training in, right? And you don't want to be bruised up before the season opener just, what, four weeks uh, away from now. But if you were to guess who might be the winner of... Any sporting event, say football or otherwise, you have a 50% chance of nailing it uh, with accuracy. Uh, Psychics wrong 46% of the time. It is true, I saw UFO earlier today, and I saw chemtrails. I'm not sure what to make of it. There are pictures that I've posted on Twitter and on Facebook for you to check out. Tonight, though, we're talking about the Rendlesham Forest incident, which occurred in December 1980 in the United Kingdom near the U.S.-operated military base of RAF Bentwaters. It remains one of the most fascinating and intriguing UFO cases of all time. It's been subject to even more controversy than Roswell. Imagine that. Peter Robbins knows as much as one. Can about it. He, after all, is the lead investigator. He's a writer, researcher, investigator, and lecturer specializing in the subject of UFOs, has more than 35 years of experience in the field. Peter received a Bachelor of Fine Arts in painting and film history and has taught painting for more than a dozen years. He's author of Halton Woodbridge, an Air Force colonel's 30-year fight to silence an authentic UFO whistleblower. And he's co-author of the British bestseller Left at Eastgate, a firsthand account of the Rendlesham Forest UFO incident, its cover-up and investigation, which will be our prime subjects tonight that uh, co-authored with Larry Warren who is a member of the uh, was a member of the Air Force Security Police who were stationed at RAF Bentwaters check out Peter's website it's PeterRobbinsNY.com, where it's late on this saturday evening we're going to spend a couple hours with peter robbins good
1: evening to you well thank you jeremy it's good to be on
4: it's my pleasure to have you here it's been a couple of months since I talked to you. actually, you were one of my final shows from Portland on that other rendition of this show so folks yes. folks will remember our conversation. What have you been up to since then?
1: Um, actually uh, it's been a fairly busy period for me um, <clears throat> in June and July I had a a rather unusual pre city lecture tour um, Cleveland, Ohio uh, Glasgow, Scotland and Athens, Greece Um, and I'm now preparing to head off to Orlando next week to host to emcee this year's International MUFON Symposium and the following week uh, Labor Day weekend I will be a speaker at the Exeter New Hampshire UFO Conference
4: So no rest
1: for the weary even on a holiday weekend (laughs) Well if you are Uh, in this field and um, and laughingly as I'll call it uh, self-employed or self-unemployed the luxury of turning down speaking jobs is not something I usually have
4: (laughs) Peter, when did the fascination with UFOs or unidentified flying objects begin for you?
1: Oh boy, Um, actually um, well into my 20s I was lucky enough as a kid to know what I wanted to do as an adult. I was a very precocious uh, visual artist. Um, By the time I was eight years old, I was studying oil painting. Um, I I studied art at the University of Bridgeport in Connecticut, then moved over to the School of Visual Arts in New York City, where I graduated with a a degree in fine arts, and um, returned to the school where I taught painting for about 13 years or so. And it was, um, I was living my dream, um, and then something interceded and changed my life forever. And I guess if you've never had the experience of what is now termed a repressed memory, um, this might sound all a little abstract, but, um, one afternoon, uh, working in my loft in New York city's East Chinatown, a, uh, profoundly important memory returned to me, something that I had worked very hard to put out of my mind um, when I was 14 years old. Uh, Growing up uh, on Long Island, about 30 miles east of um, uh, Manhattan, uh, my sister Helen and I had a uh, profoundly unambiguous UFO sighting. Uh, It was actually five disc-shaped UFOs. obviously metallic coming in at a very high rate of speed over the neighbor's house and then stopping they were in a really precise v as in victor uh formation jeremy and all of them were kind of oval like if you take a dinner plate and you hold it at arm's length and you tip it and we looked and looked and looked um without saying a word i as an investigative writer of many years, I, I'm sure I've had people describe the reaction that I had to me, in their own terms, several hundred times. Um, I call it the checklist reaction. You look up and you see a thing or things in the sky, and your mind simply rattles through all of the things they're not, uh, plane, kite, blimp, blue, um, uh, um dirigible, blimp, um, helicopter, strange-shaped cloud, refre- ref- reflection from the ground, floating garbage bag, what have you. And um, at 14 years old, I was about as sophisticated as Leave It to Beaver. Um, I I was not into sports. I was the nerdiest kid in Nerdville. I read a lot. Um, I collected stamps and bugs and read Mad Magazine and you know, flying saucers, for me, uh, as an adolescent, were something that you enjoyed on Saturday afternoon. Um, the movies at the local theater with your buddies. But I guess I had instinctively accepted that um, intuitive message from the adult world that they didn't exist, that they were nonsense. And I understood that there was a ridicule factor attached and it overwhelmed me it was a terribly lonely feeling um, and i should say here that my sister had a very different reaction she never forgot them but i i felt if i talked to any of my little buddies about it they'd make fun of me for the rest of my life and over the next weeks i managed to do what people do when they cannot handle a memory and repressed it very deeply and more than 14 and a half years passed before the memory came roaring back. I can tell you why I think it happened at that time, several factors are involved. Probably the most important one was that I was ready to deal with it. And um, I called my sister, after thinking through what I should say, um, and I should say I, I was terribly shaken by it. And I knew what I didn't want to do was just tell her my memory, and she'd say yes or no, but would I ever really know if she shared that memory? So I kind of stated that and then described the day, the afternoon, I mean the the morning, um, the weather where we were standing in the front yard of the house that we grew up in, and she just stopped me mid-sentence and laughed and said, I know what you're talking about, and in so many words told you what I just told you. Um, and I had that uh, funny split moment where I kind of went in my head, oh, my God, they're real. And oh, my God, they're real. And then she said, but there's more and you're not going to like it. And she went on to tell me, um, to compress the story a bit, that she watched me pass out and then she simply rose off the ground. Uh, With her hair blowing in the wind, absolutely no fear, fascination, just fascination, as the bottoms of these things got bigger and the top of our house got smaller. And the next thing she was describing to me, what are now archetypical um, abduction-related memories, the kind of thing that I dealt with on a routine basis for many years um, that I worked as Bud Hopkins' assistant during our... 35-year friendship, and nothing I had ever heard about in life, with the exception of the one abduction case that had entered into popular culture, certainly by that time, the Betty and Barney Hill case, Mm -hmm. Um, had I ever even thought about this. And here's my sister going on about, you know, being walked through a metal hallway by her her 12-year-old way of saying it, as she kind of remembered for me, was little doctors with big heads and big black eyes who talked to her in her head, and a taller one that seemed to uh, be running the show, and then being on the table and being looked at, and um, for probably a sustained several th- seconds, I thought to myself, my God, my sister's gone crazy, and then I caught myself and said, ah, but it was all right five seconds ago for five disc-shaped objects to be hanging over the Parker's house close enough to make out what we could only read as windows. And my sister's crazy? I don't think so. Um, we were particularly close. Uh, we lost Helen in 2000, but she had tremendous courage. and. Um
3: this is Per Abnormal News, and I'm Carissa Flack. Are ghost lights making a reappearance in the American Southeast? Fresh video making rounds on the Internet appears to have captured the occlusive phenomena for the first time in years. The mysterious lights that go blank and then reappear at Brown Mountain in North Carolina have a long and interesting history with official reports dating back to the early part of last century designer babies china may one day create genetically enhanced humans they're the first country to conduct such an experiment thanks to new dna editing technique which allows scientists to alter specific genes this month they plan to conduct the first human trials by editing a gene that causes lung disease part human part alien hybrids might not soon be the only kind walking among us the National Institutes of Health is considering funding research to inject animal embryos with human stem cells. Researchers say it could advance medical science, like help study human diseases, find drugs that work against them, as well as early human development. I'm Carissa Fleck, Paranormal News.
4: This is evident of a classic, classic abduction episode. And uh, Peter's here to um, to fill us in on more um Did you have anything else to say to wrap up your description of what happened? Because I have plenty of questions.
1: Sure. Um, You know, people uh, will use the catchphrase, my life changed overnight. Uh, Mine changed in about 60 seconds. Um, My sister told the truth. We were particularly close brother and sister um, right through to the end of her life. And um, I became obsessed with the subject. And to such a degree that the heart really went out of um, pursuing the career of being a a New York City-based painter. Um, I played at it for years. I continued to teach and show my work, Um, but something important was gone, and I resented the hell out of it. Really, what it came down to was something more important had been put in my way, and um, I began to investigate it. And here I am, all these years later, continuing to do it on a professional basis.
4: Um, Was it out like a light, kind of like a switch went off? Did these objects just just disappear?
1: Um, I don't know. Um, I literally was unconscious on the front lawn when I awoke. uh, My sister was back, um, up in a room, and um, they were certainly gone. I do remember walking into the house um, to tell our mother and in one of those childhood memories that is absolutely, uh, you know, unshakable, um, I walked into our house through the living room and dining room and I stood in the doorway of the kitchen where my mom was at the stove making lunch for us, I, I think grilled cheese sandwiches, and I said, Mom. Helen and I just saw some things in the sky that looked like flying saucers in the movies. And years later, when we discussed this for the first time with our parents, my mom didn't remember this, but I have spoken to so many people over the years who found themselves in similar situations with a child or somebody remembering when they were a child telling their parents about an event or a sighting and the parent sometimes responds as many of us would I think oh honey you just thought that's what they looked like or it looked like and you know um, you know and whatever Um, I remember my mother looking at me um, and I thought to myself this is the way grown-ups look at each other just seriously regarding me without feeling she had to say something and then after a fashion going back to uh, the stove with a serious look on her face. And that stuck in my mind, and I think intuitively she really made the right decision rather than impose whatever anxiety or denial she might have on her kid at that moment. She just took it in. She knew I wasn't a liar. Um, I was a terrible liar, which I learned very early in life, and um, so I didn't lie. Um, But that's how it began for me, Jeremy. So it sounds like
4: you might have had a case of missing time. You awoke, and your sister was already back up in your room, and you were lying there unconscious on the front line. Um, Any indication that you were taken as well?
1: Well, that was something uh, that also obsessed me for some time, because if I had been, um, I wanted to know. And within a year or so, um, I had met the three men who would be my mentors and teachers um one was bud hopkins who at the time was still five years away from even publishing his first book on the subject of ufos we were two painters who found each other both with a profound interest in the subject bud had had a daylight sighting in the mid-60s uh, walking on the beach in cape cod near where he uh, summered for 50 years The other was a tough, uh, no-nonsense Italian-American New York City police detective who was a crack UFO investigator, uh, Detective Sergeant Pete Mazzola, um, who taught me to investigate UFO incidents and phenomena much the same way as um, law enforcement investigates uh, an event called to their attention, triangulating different types of evidence and the like. And the third was um, an older gentleman, uh, Coleman von Kovetsky, a very memorable guy who was a staff officer uh, during World War II for the Hungarian Army in charge of all photo analysis and all photo reconnaissance. He got into the subject as a newly emigrated American citizen in the early 1950s um, when the famous uh, UFO incident over Washington, D.C. occurred. And... um, That was it for him. And between the three of them, um, I learned my lessons quite well. But over those early years, I did three different hypnotic regressions, specifically to try to uh, recall if anything more had happened to me. Uh, One with an old friend who had recently taken a course in hypnosis the other with bud hopkins and the other with pete who had been specially trained in regressive hypnosis by the nypd uh, for criminal investigation Um, absolutely nothing rattled loose and i've thought to myself over the decades since in interfacing working with spending time with uh, studying the case histories of being privy to extraordinarily in-depth interviews, seeing physical evidence, speaking to other witnesses uh, of people who genuinely seem to have gone through this, that something would have rattled it loose by this point. More, over the years that Bud Hopkins, uh, who we lost to cancer five years ago this month, um, was able to establish a series of protocols of quirky behavior and um, um, things that were common to almost all abductees uh, in and of themselves individually they mean nothing but when you get a dozen or 15 of them profoundly impacting the life of an individual um, that was something else Uh, on a superficial basis um, a few that I can talk about because Um, I don't want to discuss them all. It would kind of bollocks the research uh, for uh, researchers. But, um, you know, a a pathological fear of a certain location, uh, even if it's a beautiful picnicking spot in a park that you will do anything to not come close to, Um, a fear of going to the dentist or the doctor, Um, a a feeling that... um, is very unsettling to you if you look into a frying pan and you see two fried eggs looking up at you. Um, absolutely none of that has ever been anything that has mattered to me or um, I guess in short what I'm saying is I'm as convinced as I can be that I have not been taken uh, and I think if I was even at this point in my life um, I would freak the hell out. You know, I having studied it for decades doesn't mean it would be uh, a situation that I would either welcome or be comfortable with or um feel anything but um, high anxiety about
4: yeah it's, i'm always amazed when when i hear somebody who says i want to be abducted <laughs> i kind of mm-hmm. i kind of chuckle and i take a back seat and i go you what <laughs> Mm. Peter I mean I, I'm interested you know I mean you went to schooling to become a painter you had this experience yeah. uh, as a child you came to yeah. realize uh, uh, in your late 20s what it actually was why because um, I know you still you still uh you know kept with your painting career teaching others how to but why did you go down the path of investigating UFOs and abductions I guess why get involved professionally in the field?
1: One word, obsession. Obsession, um, which it it has remained to one degree or another um, since that very day. Um, I stopped painting after a fashion. I'm very happy that I never put down my cameras. I've been a passionate photographer. well, for many, many years, certainly since then and before then. And it's, it's been a very satisfying part of creative expression for me. Uh, but it's interesting that you focus on that point right now. Um, last year, I had several dreams where I woke up and I was either painting or drawing. And I thought, hmm, uh, there's a message here. I, I missed it very much, but not enough to go back to it. And um, about two months ago, as I was, well, actually even more recent than that, as I was preparing to take off on this three-city tour and knowing I'd be gone for almost a month, uh, my little laptop broke down and um, there was no chance to repair it. And I thought, how oh, the hell with it? You know, I can use Friends or use the one in the hotel where all the different hotels I'd be staying at. And then I thought, well, that frees me up for several pounds. Uh, I can either have a lighter bag or bring something else along. And I thought, right, time to pack the drawing and painting supplies, which I did. And in Greece, um, I did some painting and drawing um, and kind of broke the ice with myself again on that and uh, hope that I will be able to more integrate that into my life again because it's something I love doing and that I'm good at. But this is more important. Um, I think it's terribly important work. And Why is uh, that?
4: Why, why do you think it's so important? I know why, but yeah, I
1: want to hear from yeah. you. Sure. The implications of um, fully authentic anomalous UFOs, and I'm referring here to machines of highly advanced technology under intelligent con- control, Coming and going from who the hell knows where with impunity um, not only means we're not alone in the universe, but that there are other intelligences that interact not on a a mass level, but on individual levels with millions of people over the decades, probably going well back before the so-called dawn of the golden age of the modern age of UFOs in 1947 and for starters you know people say well you know why do governments keep the secrets and what's the big deal well for starters um, it would mean uh, by implication that if individuals all around the world started to understand and accept the reality of this uh... situation and these other intelligences uh... and i'm sure there are a number of them um, people might actually begin to start thinking of themselves as human beings first, rather than, I'm an American, or I'm a man, or I'm a woman, or I'm Jewish, Christian, Muslim, Buddhist, or whatever. And that could be very dangerous to um, the forces that feel nationalism is absolutely essential to holding people um, back from each other. I'm an American, you're Russian, if you cross this line, I'll kill you or you'll kill me, rather than, hey, we're all in this together, and there is something much bigger going on here than our petty feuds with each other going back for millennia. Um, Also, you know, um, if um, the president of the United States, whomever that might be at any given point, um, could go forward and say, My fellow Americans, it's my solemn duty to inform you, blah, blah, blah. Something which could never happen in modern times. No single world leader could do this uh, on their own unless they were particularly reckless or, uh, you know, were willing to take the consequences. It would have to be coordinated with other world leaders. Probably religious leaders, business leaders, uh, the military- industrial complex, et cetera, et cetera. Harry Truman could have done it. Maybe Eisenhower could have done it. But let's say this president or the next president, does something like this. The first thing that would have to be admitted, at least by implication, is that every president, since Harry Truman has been, and it doesn't matter whether they're left or right Democrat, Republican or whatever, um, that they're an indicted co-conspirator in the greatest cover-up in history and presidents tend to stick together like rich people tend to stick together um, so we're faced with um, a situation which began with covering this up denying it making uh, belittling it in fact um, a very recent tangent of research of mine um, that I've begun presenting. Uh, Papers at conferences, although my interest in investigation now goes back several decades, is what I'd call the origins of the UFO ridicule factor. I mean, let's face it, Jeremy, if we lived in a relatively sane world, um, and I ran into you on the street and I said, Hey, Jeremy, the strangest thing happened to me yesterday. I was out walking the dog last night or playing with the kids in the uh, park uh, yesterday afternoon. I looked up and I saw this thing or things. I had never seen anything like it or them before. It was round or triangular or rectangular. It was as small as a star zigzagging around or as big as two aircraft carriers coasting overhead. And I, I just wonder what it was. In a insane world, you would probably say or think, gee, that's interesting. I wonder what it was too. So how did it work out that such a profoundly uh, engaging subject ended up being tagged with more ridicule and condescension and sarcasm and silliness and denial and pseudoscientific, pathetic explanations? It's completely counterintuitive, and um, I've been looking into how that all began.
4: You mentioned disclosure a bit, and I know you have some thoughts on the quote disclosure movement. Is yeah. there progress nationally and internationally?
1: Oh yes, uh, I um, I think for some people, the the dream that it would become this huge worldwide mass movement, uh, perhaps on the model of the anti Vietnam War movement that exploded in this country and. The late 60s and early 70s is kind of a pipe dream Um, what is happening and I consider it very positive and in fact disclosure is happening as we speak just not as dramatically or romantically or as quickly as some of us would like to see namely that disclosure groups and people committed to this here and abroad in many countries Uh, in great part because of the fine work of my friend and colleague, um, Stephen Bassett, people are beginning to educate each other about it. Also, in my work, um, I travel a fair amount around the states and around the world. And one thing that I can definitely tell you is um, it's a very informal demographic, but I stand behind it every year, more and more people, seem to care less and less what other people think about what they think about the subject. And I'm seeing more of them at conferences. Uh, More of them are contacting me and other colleagues. Um, They are educating themselves. They are curious. They are beyond the point where they care, Um, and they seem to be based in two particular groups. although. Uh, certainly everybody else is included Um, one is twenty and thirty somethings who almost overwhelmingly you know would shrug their shoulders if you said do you think ufos are real and some of them are advanced technology from other places and the government is covering it up well of course Um, they accept it as a fact of life it doesn't obsess them they have a lot of other things on their mind uh, and a lot of other challenges to pursue in life the other group interestingly is folks coming into or in retirement age, uh, some of whom have a little extra discretionary spending, uh money, um more time, um and could care less at this point in their lives what you know, Joe Blow down the block thinks because they're serious about the subject.
4: I'm wondering what it is with painters and alien abduction phenomena and research of UFOs, because Bud Hopkins was also an American painter, a sculptor as well. What was it like
1: working with Bud? Well, first, um, let me tell you, it's not painters per se, uh, but there are a high percentage of artists. Uh, performing artists and visual artists who um, have um, contributed to this field I think the main reason for that is um, I grew up thinking outside the box I from a young age saw myself as something of an outsider that my life was not going to follow a strictly business model or you know that I wasn't going to go work in an office every day like my dad Uh, not that that's a bad thing Um, But you tend to come at things from a slightly obtuse angle. As far as working with Bud, um, we met less than a year after I became involved in the subject. Um, Part of my educating myself was buying books and reading them, a good percentage of which were kind of goofy to me. Um, There were a lot of lovely books by contactees, that group from the 60s who kind of embodied the phrase of welcome the Space Brothers, um, who I felt were somewhat naive, although who's to say what is and what isn't in this area, uh, as well as fine, well-written, scientifically-minded books like, um, really, uh, uh, Donald Kehoe, a, a uh, distinguished Marine fighter pilot during World War II who was One of the first best-selling authors and approached the subject from a distinctly scientific view, most newspaper articles I was clipping and reading were pretty silly, um, and that's putting it kindly. And one afternoon, I walked by a newsstand and did a double-take. There was a front-page article on a UFO incident that had happened the year before, 1975, and it was written by a man named Bud Hopkins. And I I bought the paper, which was the Village Voice, uh, um, essentially a, a, a liberal left-wing publication that um, was a, a, a one of many New York City newspapers that I never saw uh, a UFO article in, although I read a lot of publications at the time. And it was extremely well-written and well-documented. And the New York art world, um, although at the highest levels, you know, um, people interested in the arts and know those names around the world um, is fairly small and I thought hmm could this be the Bud Hopkins late abstract expressionist painter whose show I went to a couple of years ago and I, I went to the New York City phone book and I found there was only one Bud Hopkins in it and Bud spelled his last his first name distinctively with two D's and I just cold called him and introduced myself told him about my sighting as a kid, my sister's experience, and that I was teaching over at the School of Visual Arts not far from where he lived. And
4: how long did that conversation last, Peter?
1: (laughs) Well, a couple of minutes, not much longer, because his first question for me was, tell me about your artwork, which, in retrospect, we laughed about a lot, because um, I came of age, um, in the age of minimal and conceptual art, where he was, um, again, late-period abstract expressionist, and he was not impressed. <laughs> but he was interested in meeting with me, and a few days later, I knocked on his door on West 16th Street and um, remember sitting at his kitchen table. <laughs> oh, no,
3: major sightings here,
0: all oh, the place.
2: Holy... <laughs> f- <laughs> 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 Ad- <abnormal. laughs> dead people walking around like regular people Parabnormal somewhere between abnormal and paranormal I felt like something was near me kind of a eerie feeling You want answers? I want the truth! Jeremy Scott asks the questions that we're all dying to know You can't handle the truth! Hello? Hello? You can't keep them down no matter how hard you try, hey, that's the guy! And he's back for more! Traveling into the witching hour from the cold, dark depths of a secret dungeon somewhere deep in the remote Pacific Northwest, you're riding into the paranormal.
4: to well, between Peter Robbins and Bud Hopkins, we have a wealth of information that is being uh, passed on to you tonight. Welcome back for the second hour. Peter is his website. You can also find him on Facebook as well. We're going to get into the Rendlesham case. But as we were talking about with Peter right before the news, about what it was like to work with Bud Hopkins and what he's learned through that relationship, he actually was telling us right before Uh, the break of a conversation that uh, only lasted a couple of minutes when Peter introduced himself. He was more interested in your uh, artistic ability, huh, Peter?
1: Well, not my artistic ability, but um, it's a standard thing among artists. Uh, You're either doing work that is in the spirit of or in the same school of another artist, or you're not. And... um, the last thing he was really interested in was the work I was doing. Our friendship was built on on many other things, uh, uh, a mutual love of, of great art and going back to ancient times. Um, Bud was one of the, the most decent people I ever met. He's also a great intellect. He was extremely well-read, uh, very well-traveled in great part because of... Uh, his opportunity to travel once he became better known um, as a uh, uh, an outstanding researcher in the field Um, but he was a genuine intellectual he was a humanist he cared about people and he was phenomenally curious and had his life taken him into law enforcement rather than the arts god help the criminals (laughs) who he would go after He was a brilliant investigator, and in a way a great detective, and over the years that we worked together, um, and that really wasn't, that didn't start until the earlier 1980s, even though we met in the mid-70s, his first book um, exploded on the UFO scene and actually added a term to the English language, which was Missing Time, uh, which was the title of his first book. published in 1981 and up until then he was um, really the first person to make public um, the casework that established that one of the things that um, was part of the profile of authentic abductees was a period of missing time Um, very often about an hour and a half in some cases where you would be at point a driving um or in your home and then um, find yourself an hour and a half later in a very different place with no memory of how you got there uh, this was endemic in the work and when he published his second book which was an outright international bestseller intruders um, his name and his work and demands on his time took off like a skyrocket at that point, he needed a, um, an assistant. Um, I, I worked for him um, gratis because I was as fascinated as he was. Um, I knew it was, again, important work and um, perhaps at some point in the future will be looked back on as crucially important work. Um, in the late 80s, he founded a nonprofit research organization called the Intruders Foundation which had a double mandate. One was to assist individuals, uh, as we were able, who had been through this, and also to educate the public at large to how serious and real this phenomena was. Um, At one point, he received a grant um, from Prince Hans Adam of Lichtenberg, Autumn of Lichtenstein um, of some several thousand dollars. And I had a glorious year or two where I went on salary for $8 an hour. And then at a certain point it was up to $10 an hour. And then we ran out of money and then I continued to work for years um, as a friend and colleague. And, you know, I loved the guy. He was always engaging. Um, I had the privilege of editing um, what he was writing. And I'll tell you what, especially for um, writers in your audience, Bud was the best first draft writer I have ever known in my life. Um, I would see drafts of his books and articles and position papers and um, conference papers um, in development. And he more often than not nailed things on the first or second draft, something people like me can only dream about. He's also an awful lot of fun, um, had a great sense of humor, and there were times that he and I would be quite down. Um, there, This is very serious stuff, and there were times it would get to us. Uh, he was always um, behind uh, the eight ball as far as financing his work, and partly because when his name became associated with serious UFO research, the art world, um, which can be a very unforgiving mistress, especially in the deadly, serious and highly competitive New York City art world. Um, many people um, thought less of him as an artist because he was not a hundred percent in their minds dedicated to his painting, that he had this other passion that you know folks found a little embarrassing if they didn't educate themselves to what he was doing. But we've never had a more articulate or passionate, spokesperson. We've had a handful who are just as much. And through Bud, I I met and developed a a wonderful friendship with um, Dr. John Mack, uh, certainly as well-known and as respected an investigator of the subject as him, Dr. David Jacobs, and so many other people. But more important, I got to be behind his shoulder, be a confidant, help work with um, hundreds Hundreds of individuals who had been through this and to a degree still do. I will be spending time with uh, a wonderful group of people who meet regularly for years in a support group uh, in Florida the week after um, the big MUFON uh, symposium coming up the 27th and 28th of August that I will be emceeing, but I will stay on for another week to give a number of talks and spend time with the group down there. Uh, something that means a lot to me that I consider a privilege that um, um, I have that opportunity to meet with people who have been through these extraordinary experiences and um, it's it's a thread in my life that means a lot to me.
4: Talking with Peter Robbins tonight on Into the Parabnormal, 818-672-6865. That's 818-672-6865. You can Skype into Parabnormal. I'm Jeremy Scott. His website, PeterRobbinsNY.com. We're talking about his two books, one of those with Larry Warren, who we'll get into his story shortly, uh, talking about uh, Left at Eastgate, a hand account of the Rendlesham Forest UFO incident, its cover-up and investigation, also the latest is Halton Woodbridge, in Air Force Colonel's 30-year fight to silence an authentic UFO whistleblower. Give Peter some love. Click on his website. And, of course, uh, if you like what you're hearing and you want to know more about Rendlesham, uh, you're not going to find a better um, told story than than what Peter Robbins has put out there. PeterRobbinsNY.com is his website. So RAF Bentwaters, a U.S.-operated military base in the United Kingdom, in 1980... What happened, Peter?
1: Well, um, a series of events occurred um, in southeastern England uh, that are now regarded as the best-known and best-documented UFO incident in Great Britain's history. Uh, They've alternately been referred to as the Rendlesham Forest incident or the Bentwaters incident, Uh, but they occurred uh, over three consecutive nights, in late December between Christmas and New Year's 1980 in and around two uh, extremely important NATO bases one an RAF base called RAF Woodbridge which is still an active base with about 5,000 personnel stationed there as I recall on a standby for rescue and recovery Uh, they're so close to the sea there the other um, RAF Bentwaters which was commissioned in the 1940s and was decommissioned about 1992. The events occurred in and around those two bases, separated by about five or six miles by a forest called the Rendlesham Forest. And they involved um, almost every aspect of the things that we in the field um, look for um, and that are actually break down into specialty areas of research and investigation that would include um, physical evidence supported by um, serious scientific testing, uh, multiple witnessed accounts of anomalous um, craft and activity uh, in the Rendlesham Forest and above it, um, cover-up A trail of military uh, paperwork that um, stands on its own to validate the events. Um, A history of anomalous and UFO behavior in that part of Suffolk, East Anglia. Um, Individuals who were threatened, who were uh, put through unconscionable things by... uh, aspects of our intelligence community to fuse confuse um, their actual memories, which were for most people wild enough. And I, I think it's fair to say, put the fear of God into these individuals who had been involved in one way or another and encourage them to get on with their lives and not talk about this, not break security. Um, and it was very well hidden. Until the case exploded in the public realm in October of 1983, specifically because one of the men involved in one of the events um, put the truth before um, his loyalty to the Air Force and has paid a very real price for it. We're talking about Larry Warren, right? I am. Yeah, my co-author on Left at East Gate. That's correct.
4: How did you and Larry come to meet? I understand uh, y- you met at his apartment.
1: No, um, we the the case broke um, in in the British tabloid, The News of the World, which was uh, destroyed by the machinations of um, Rupert Murdoch's uh, uh, publishing team. But in nineteen 19- 83. It was the largest tabloid in the world. In late '82, um, Larry, who had left the service with a good case of post-traumatic stress—something uh, that many of the first-hand witnesses share and actively still deal with in mm-hmm. one way or another—he um, had connected up um, through um, a well-known abductee uh, and her husband, that being uh, Betty Andreassen and Bob Luca with a fairly well-known and respected ufo investigator at the time named larry fawcett larry was aside from being a respected ufo investigator a police lieutenant in coventry connecticut and warren um, gave fawcett an extended interview along with his uh, writing partner barry greenwood um, which they put into the form of a freedom of information act action which was filed by a now defunct organization called Cause, CAUS, Citizens Against UFO Secrecy. By the spring of 83, um, it had resulted in the release of a single page document um, written by the then Deputy Base Commander, Charles Eichholt, which, although it minimized the events, um, compressed three nights into two. Uh, cut out a lot of detail, was nonetheless an official report on an Air Force letterhead signed by a respected uh, lieutenant colonel, and a file copy of that document was sent by Fawcett to a colleague in the UK. Ultimately, it was shared and made its way to the news of the world, um, where it exploded um, on the front page on, I believe it was a Sunday, October 2nd, 1983. We learned about it in the States November or December. Uh, um, I know um, Pete Mazzola, who I spoke about earlier, um, the New York City police detective who was one of my mentors and who at the time had a very uh, uh, growing and influential um, organization. Um, many of whose members were police officers around the United States interested in this subject. And we published that in the journal. Um, The organization was called the Scientific Bureau of Investigation, or SBI. And some months later, and at a time when Westchester, New York, uh, uh, a lovely area um, not that far north of Manhattan, um, had a, a very well-documented spate of triangular UFO sightings, so much so that I think it was that spring or early that summer, there was a big town meeting in the Largest Hall um, in the area, which was um, the auditorium of a local high school. Uh, I, Bud went, of course, uh, I went, um, Pete went. Uh, it was the only time I ever met Dr. Alan Hynek, who certainly at the time was the best-known figure in international UFO research. Uh, Whitley Strieber was there, interestingly, about four years before he published his account of his and his family and friends' experiences in the smash international bestseller, Communion. And at a certain point, there was a break, and um, I went out to have a cigarette, and I noticed that um, there was a knot of people standing around somebody, and out of curiosity, I walked up, and there was a young man in the middle, Ernest, um, seemingly doing his best to answer questions about the, um, the events uh, that had transpired in England in 1980, and I thought, Wow this is that guy who we all read about who broke the story last year and i just stood there like many people and listened to him through to the end uh, until we were called back in for uh, the continuing of the program and for whatever reason and it's funny we both remembered identically i simply waited around till everybody was gone we looked at each other i stuck out my hand i said good luck man and he looked at me and said thanks and that was it. We did not see each other again for another four years, four years plus. Um, and when we did run into each other again, it was in the context of that year's big uh, MUFON symposium and being 1987, uh, it was marking the 40th anniversary of Roswell, the Kenneth Arnold sightings, the 40th anniversary in essence of the modern UFO era. Larry was a featured speaker. I had appeared in a panel discussion, not surprisingly, about the abduction phenomena. And um, I heard him speak, he heard me speak, and we ran into each other the hallway that next day, the Sunday, which was the final day of the conference, both of us with different agendas. Uh, I wanted to do an interview with him. He came off to me as the real deal, um, and they have met lots of people over the years who um, say um, that they were involved, they knew this and that, they were privy to certain information. But rarely are they able to back it up, not to discount their testimonies. Um, and um, Larry, after hearing me speak, had decided I was the guy he wanted to write a book with. And um, we kind of were sort of sizing each other up. And we decided we should get together. And his question was when, my question was when, his was how about next weekend, which was the 4th of July weekend, as I recall. And he came into New York, he was married to his first wife at the time, living in Connecticut, Uh, slept on my couch, and I got quite a remarkable interview that weekend, and by Sunday afternoon, um, he was laying out um, his idea for a book, And I was very flattered that he was interested in me being his co-author and, not without some humor, suggested to him that maybe he should look for somebody who had, like, written a book. Uh, I had written articles, columns, um, conference papers, but um, I had yet to write anything that you could call a book. However, um, in all honesty, at that point, I was about a dozen years into the work. I was looking to get my teeth into a serious project, and we shook hands in my living room that day, and I agreed to co-author the book with him, thinking in my mind that I was into something that would, you know cost us a couple of grand, take a year or two, and then move on to other subjects. i I still don't know um, if I would have shaken hands with him on that, if I had any idea, what was in store for me <clears throat> because that year or two turned into a decade and that several thousand dollars turned to all the money that we both had and then some and um fair amount of anxiety and um, frustration uh, but when that book came out in the united kingdom it was a smash bestseller and uh, the summer of 1997, when we did a 15-city speaking tour to promote it, for me, the most paranormal part of it was nothing to do with UFOs. It was that we spent a good bit of time that summer in the top 10 books in the United Kingdom, and for part of that time, our book was two points ahead of the new John le Carré novel, The uh, Tailor of Panama, and I'm a huge John le Carré fan. uh, that was very special to me.
4: <laughs> Break time
1: with, that's how, that's with how we met with
4: Peter Robbins as we'll delve more into Rendlesham and the cover-up. Stick with us. I'm Jeremy Scott, PeterRobbinsNY.com.
3: This is Paranormal News, and I'm Carissa Fleck.
1: An alien UFO invasion between two thousand seventeen to two thousand twenty.
3: It's a bold prediction by psychic T. Chase. Chase says aliens will invade us between two thousand seventeen and two thousand twenty and kill millions of people by shooting death rays from the gigantic spacecraft. He says Russian President Putin starts World War III only to be defeated by Jesus and an army of aliens who find each other after a second coming. Chase says a genetic re-entering program will be launched to purge humanity of its self-destructive tendencies. We'll check back with you in a few years to see if he's right. It's not very often that stories scraped off the ocean floor can be as interesting as this. Scientists at the Technical University of Munich in Germany have collected samples from deep beneath the Pacific Ocean with a form of iron that's not commonly found on Earth. That might not sound so earth-shattering, but according to data recently published in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences, The presence implies that a violent cosmic event like a supernova or meteor deposited the rare metals many, many moons ago. Virtual reality isn't something we can just use for fantasy anymore. A groundbreaking new experiment is helping the paralyzed learn how to walk again. The system is being developed by scientists at Duke University. The experiment taps into patients' brain activity to simulate full leg control, causing the injured parts of their spinal cord to re-engage. I'm Carissa Fleck, Parabnormal News
4: questions are always encouraged our number is 818-672-6865 that's 818-672-6865 and you can skype into paranormal and uh, I'm, I'm certain that peter would be interested in fielding your phone calls as well welcome back peter
1: thank you and absolutely i'd be glad to take any phone calls
4: the cover-up, Larry Warren, uh, his story, why is it so significant to the Air Force that particularly Charles Halt would spend so much time knocking down his character?
1: Yeah, uh, a great and important question. Um, To the best of my knowledge, Charles Halt uh, served his country well and long. Um, However, he was one of the people who larry named in the um, in-depth interview that he did with larry fawcett and it was halt's name who ended up front and center along with a few others when the case broke Uh, the military mindset um, is not kind to uh, officers as well as enlisted men whose names become associated with the ufo subject it again from the get-go there is ridicule attached this was not something that happened by accident i I think we'll have to save uh the birth of ufo ridicule for another show jeremy but um uh, brother officers made fun of him behind his back the event that he was involved in and in fact he was not only deputy base commander he had his own sighting uh, on the third night sometime before the one that warren and the men that he had uh, been with um... had a more dramatic uh, event that they witnessed um, uh, not far from where halted but it did not help his career and that is putting it kindly uh, i don't think it was a, a great plus in his private life either and um... he he certainly earned the right to resent larry making him a public figure in this work what he did not earn the right to do was go out of his way to uh, put forward repeatedly deceptive information outright fabrications um, put forward information that he believed was true as absolutely factual and empirical data and it all came to a head last year after decades of sniping, uh, trying to cut Larry down, trying to uh, um, create the impression that he was not involved. Um, And even that he was dismissed from the Air Force under less than honorable circumstances, nothing which could have been further from the truth. And um, last year, um, he had something happen for him that he shared with Larry and I many years before more than 20 years before when we met in person um rather dramatically um in the food court of a shopping mall called Pentagon City not surprisingly across the highway from the Pentagon uh, where he shared quite a lot with us uh, all of which was recorded with uh, everybody's permission and the transcript of which is published in Left at East Gate as well as transcripts of Of the conversations we had with him, but the upshot was that he was invited to give a talk in Woodbridge, Suffolk, Uh, Woodbridge being the town closest to where the events and questions happened uh, 36 years earlier, 35 years earlier at that time. Uh, The first part of his talk was much as I would have hoped it would have been, and people can chase it down on YouTube where they can watch the whole thing for themselves, which I encourage them to do. I mean, let's face it, not only was Mr. Hall in a command position, but he was also a witness. So um, that makes his story quite unique, and um, it is worth listening to. What was absolutely wrong, though, is he devotes the final part of his talk to doing his best to destroy Larry's credibility and his account. To dismiss and demean um, our book, uh, many years of research which went into, and I felt there was no quick way, uh, no um, no way to respond in terms of say doing a two hour show like yours, or of um, doing and a self righteous post on the internet, or publishing you know a couple of page rebuttal on my Facebook page. And what I did was I listened very carefully to the talk and did um, an extremely um, respectful and careful analysis of everything that he had been put forward. Um, To my shock and disappointment, I found that if there were several dozen data points that he hit on, which he certainly did, that the great majority of them were completely fabricated. They simply were untrue. Um, I mean, I will say it took a certain amount of, uh, the Yiddish word is chutzpah, um, I guess gall, to just stand up before that audience and tell things that were not the truth to an audience that had paid the equivalent of $30 each to come and hear an important figure in this um, case tell his story. repeatedly, for example, he cites page numbers in our book and says X, Y, or Z happened on that page or is stated on that page, and that's simply incorrect. When you go to that page, nothing of the kind appears. It's simply not there, nor on the page before or the page after or the chapter before the chapter after. Um, And he has refused, and I understand why, to discuss this with me in any forum live on the radio um in person recorded or what have you um because i think it would be extremely embarrassing for him to do so i can only add that um i invite anybody to um look into this for for themselves um and that by reading the book halton woodbridge um if you know, you don't want to spend the money on a, uh, another book to add to your library. You can go to Amazon.com to the page, the sales page, where I think there are about 25 reviews of the book posted, pro and con, um, and um, the great majority of them, um, I'm very proud to say, and uh, are terrific reviews. Um, but you can read 20 or 25 pages of the book at no cost. And if you have a Kindle, you can download the book for four bucks. But- um, That's a steal. That's, that, yeah, that's not right. You you can't do that, you shouldn't do that. It, it should be called when it happens. Um, this field is put down, um, joked about enough without adding to the confusion or um, making it your business to deliberately Attempt to deceive people simply because you've got an issue with an individual who has maintained um, what they saw, what they experienced, what they knew um, for decades now.
4: Eight one eight six seven two six eight six five. That's eight one eight six seven two six eight six five. My guest tonight is Peter Robbins, and we're talking about. Rendlesham about Larry Warren, who, of course, uh, is one of the co-authors of Peter's first book. Uh, a little bit off topic, but we'll get back to Rendlesham because your uh, your comments and questions come first. Kimberly sent this on the Facebook page, Add Into the Parabnormal, where I'd love if you gave me a like before this evening is over. Kimberly wants to know if you have any reports about Men in Black.
1: Um, I... I've heard, I've had reports um, on and off over the decades. Um, I would suggest that Kimberly consult the work of a dear friend and an esteemed colleague, Nick Redfern, who recently published a book dedicated to that very subject. Actually, Women in Black, I think it was. (laughs) Um, Actually, no, now that I think about it. Um, Again, Nick may have. Uh, he has really specialized in it for years, and before him, my old friend and colleague Timothy Green Beckley um, has published around that subject quite extensively over the decades, and I believe he has a book out that goes back some years also with uh, men in black accounts that might well have some women in black accounts. Being a, uh, a New York City boy, um, I uh, many of my favorite women dress in black um, and not because they're in mourning. It's the New York City color.
4: Was Larry Warren or yourself, have you have either of you ever been visited?
1: Um, Larry, yes. Um, and in the time that we have, I couldn't do justice to um, his um, contacts with individuals in the intelligence community, uh, specifically wow. the National Security Agency. Um, they are in left at Eastgate. Um, in my own case, no. Um, I I have been overall left alone. And I, I decided early on when I realized I had gotten in way over my head that I would have a very simple protocol, which is if individuals or an individual who I felt were credible who could identify themselves, Um, as shady characters or with some arm of the American intelligence community who approached me to uh, say in so many words that I might want to consider very seriously not doing the work I'm doing or getting out of writing that book or what have you, that I would most seriously consider it. However, um, if they approached me and said something like, if you don't stop doing what you're doing. Somebody that you care about may be hurt. I'm out. I never spoke about that. I I wrote it up as kind of a codicil um, to my will. And I made sure that copies were filed in different places. I took it very seriously. But no, um, nobody ever got in my way and tried to make me stop doing what I'm doing. 818-672-6865.
4: 8186726865 that's 8186726865 want to say thank you to Valentine Radio tonight picking us up in Fort Davis Marfa Van Horn and of course Valentine Texas 1610 a.m. you'll find us on the radio down there also uh in Hillsboro Ohio we're on 106.9 WLRU our stream powered by Radiotomy uh, 24/7 now as you probably heard the announcement uh, earlier in the program we've got that 24/7 channel uh, i know more most of you um want more of yours truly and, of course, I've told the story of what happened in Texas, so I'm back up here. I'm a working man, and I can't do the show five nights a week. I know you want me to uh, if you send me some support through that PayPal link at intotheparabnormalwixcom slash ITP radio, or go to either the Twitter or Facebook pages, and I know that's a long link. We'll eventually have our own link if you uh, can send me some love at PayPal. I would certainly appreciate it, and uh, give Peter Robbins a, a, a like on Facebook as well. I guess you would add a friend on Facebook, and you can stop by his website at uh, com. So the 24 7 stream uh, will feature replays of this program, of course, Carissa Flex, Parabnormal News, and uh, the bumpers. You love the bumper music, and the bumper music is back tonight. The goodies. And uh, those are also uh, featured uh, on the stream as well because we have had an anonymous donor who has stepped up and uh, given us some love. I've been able to branch out, so I deliver. Uh, We're only a month into the program, at least this rendition of the program, and we've already extended our reach. And we're talking with radio stations and networks who want to pick up this program. of course, as I've said before, it's going to be on my terms, not theirs. Uh, But if you are interested, into the pair of normal.wix.com slash ITP radio and make sure you put the B between the A and the N or you're going to get to someplace entirely different. Uh, Peter, it's your time to uh, promote yourself. Uh, I've mentioned the books and the website. Uh, You probably have some speaking engagements coming up.
1: Uh, I do. And first, let me say um, that a week from Sunday. Um, gosh, I wish I had the information right in front of me. Larry Warren, um, who is coming over to the state soon, he's lived in Liverpool, England since 2000, expatriate. Uh, he will be giving a major talk in Toronto. Um, if you go down my page or visit his page uh, on Facebook, and he is listed under Lawrence Warren, you will find that information. If you're in the area, certainly in the Toronto area, I hope you'll uh, catch his talk um, my next appearance uh, won't be to give a talk but I will be hosting the International MUFON Symposium coming up uh, August 28th and 27th in Orlando, Florida and where else would you want to be at the end of August than Florida and the following weekend the weekend of September 2nd I will be speaking a, it's a wonderful lineup of, of speakers Richard Dolan, Kathleen Martin Um, um, Denise Stoner um, I believe Stan Friedman and several other all past guests of mine uh, by the way yeah that will be at the Exeter New Hampshire um, UFO Festival and Conference Uh, just google it and you'll find it and um, I'm hoping I'll see some of your listeners um, over the next couple of weeks in those locations yeah
4: and if you do uh, I'd love to hear from you Peter and uh, we'll certainly be keeping in touch with you um, as far as the Rendlesham story is concerned, yes. Why would the Air Force, or maybe they're just, um, you know, they're just out in front when really there's someone calling the shots out back? Yes. yes. Why, why would they want to cover up this site? Uh, I mean, we're talking about sightings on three consecutive nights between Christmas and New Year's, 1980, the most yeah. documented in
1: Britain history. Yes, sightings and landings. Um, Well, going back to the baseline, um, the military mindset um, is not proud of the fact that nothing that we have been able to come up with do um, um, create in almost 70 years since this phenomena came into, um, uh, you know, our, our transom here. Um, to affect it. Um, that's not something that, you know, the United States Air Force is thrilled to admit. Uh, there are a lot of security issues involved as well. One thing that we didn't get into that is shatteringly important and part of a long history, uh, as far-fetched as it may sound to some of your listeners, um, this base, uh, RAF Benwaters, had the largest back line of tactical nuclear ordnance um, in the United Kingdom, and at the time in nineteen eighty, in full violation of the United States' treaty with Great Britain, and as as Charles Halt said to our faces when we met with him, uh, somehow these these things, which shone beams of light down into the nuclear weapons storage area, quote unquote, adversely affected the ordinance. Um, that is not. That is also something that the Air Force would not be interested in wanting to uh, admit. And yes, there it is the United States Air Force, but you know they take orders uh, from higher ups in the Pentagon, and you know everybody is under someone else. Um, it it has the potential of creating panic in the general population who have been conditioned to not even think of this subject seriously. And um, although I feel that disclosure, per se, is inevitable, I don't think we, our government, that is, the United States government, is ever willingly um, going to release information it has pertaining to the subject unless their hand is forced. Time will tell if I'm right or not. Um, and um, I know that Mrs. Clinton made a statement some weeks ago that if she's elected, she may release information, blah, blah, blah. Well, I don't care who's elected. You know, don't hold your breath.
4: Peter, fascinating show tonight. Uh, Final comments on the Rendlesham Forest incident, 1980, the cover-up, and the defamation of character, if we want to call it uh, that,
1: against Larry Warren. Yeah, well, the story goes on. Um, sadly, there is a great deal of infighting um, between the witnesses, between key investigators, 36 and a half years after the incident. Uh, we know that Her Majesty's government will be releasing more documentation on UFOs soon. I, I wish our country would take a lead, even though uh, the documents that have been released by them have not been um uh, smoking guns, but they have generated some interesting smoke. And you can bet um, when they, the Ministry of Defense does release more information on UFOs, certainly some of it will regard um, RAF, Bentwaters, Woodbridge UFO incident, no question about it.
4: Peter Robbins, NY.com. com. you have any plans for um, additional books, maybe on this topic or on others coming
1: Well, I've written two and a half books on this topic, another one called um, Deliberate Deception, A Case of Disinformation in the UFO Research Community, which is a 450-page book, the great majority of it, raw data, about 80 pages of writing, uh, that any of your listeners are welcome to download at no cost whatsoever by going to the website of Phenomena Magazine, I repeat, Phenomena Magazine published in... Uh, oh, is Manchester, that, isn't that Steve Mara's publication? You better believe it. Small world, um, huh? One of my favorite people in the work, um, and a brilliant publisher and researcher, and one of the leading figures in UFO field in Great Britain, and a great guy as well. Love him to death. But if you go to the website of Phenomena Magazine and click on the box that says Special Reports, it will take you to a page that shows the spines of seven cyber volumes, so to say. Click on them in order, download them into your computer, and you will have that book. No, I do not intend to write another book about Rendlesham. Thank you very much. (laughs) I am working on another book, which will be out next year, and have two um, that are being developed uh, for after that right now. Peter, uh,
4: any of your future work, I would uh, call it a a pleasure to be uh, made known of that, and I'll do my best to uh, feature it here on my program.
1: Jeremy, you're my favorite kind of radio host. No. You ask good questions, be- better than good questions. As I-, I mentioned to you, and I wasn't joking, I I, I don't like softball questions. I um, yeah, mean, you know, it's like sitting in somebody's living room and having a real conversation. I'd be glad to come back to your show whenever our schedules allow Wish you much luck with this new incarnation of the show. You do a very important work, my friend, and anything that I can do to promote it, I will. Which reminds me, um, as soon as this is in your archive... If you would, um, post an announcement on my Facebook page so that I can get it out there for my friends.
4: Peter, I hope to uh, maybe one day cross paths with with you at uh, some sort of
1: public appearance. Best to you, my friend. Absolutely, and I'd love to return to the Northwest as well. I haven't been there in too many years.
4: Hey, if you get here, give me a call.
1: (laughs) You got it, brother. (laughs) That's
4: Peter Robbins next week. The alien abduction phenomenon and NDEs solving the riddle. Is it possible? My guest will be Eugene Braxton from the cold, dark depths of a secret dungeon somewhere deep in the remote Pacific Northwest. Good Saturday evening.